Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church. Off the Pulpit. Really glad you're listening in. I know it was a long break for us. We had a lot of, th- we'll, we'll get to it. We had a lot of stuff going on. Happy post Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess for both of you, there's a lot that's happened. But Jason, how's your housing situation? Um, I now have like 5 million sermon illustrations on <laughs> living in exile that's or crazy, living as a man. nomad. Um, yeah, um, my family has been out of our home for the past, I think, six weeks now, um, maybe longer than that. Um, we just had, it was like everything that could go wrong with a person's house went wrong within a, you know, span of a couple of weeks that basically caused us to have to rip open our entire home. And so, uh, I'm actually sitting here recording this, like I'm sitting in our home for the first time in a very, very long time. So very That's grateful crazy. for that. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, Jason's hopefully done, but also Tom, uh, big changes. He, he's in his garage. So this shout out to our OG listeners. It'll be like the first episode, but there's a reason why, um, Tom had, and Lena, his wife had his third baby, baby Izzy. But yeah, how's that going, Tom? Life is good. Baby number three is great. If you hear a buzzing sound, yeah, that's from the garage, but it's just to make sure baby doesn't wake up. But yeah, man, can't complain. It's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, so Tom is now three kids. That's you're playing complete zone defense with the kids now, right? It's zone defense, dude. Although we have to double team our son still. He's <laughs> still wild. Tom can son us now in parenting. <laughs> I know because for he, sure. he he has one up on us <laughs> for sure. Three three more than two. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, a lot's been going on. But really thankful that we could get back together. It's been a while, even for us three to see each other. So happy to do that. And as usual, we'll start off with a couple of questions from mailbag. If you guys have any questions for us at any time, you can DM us anytime on Instagram and off the pulpit. But a couple of questions that came in through the mailbag, a lot of book recs. So Tom might be helpful. Tom is uh, the certified book master here. But one question was, what are some books that have helped your own personal understanding of God's character uh, in your own book reading history? I always like Knowing God by Jerry Packer. That's like kind of a very standard version of pretty much captures everything of who God is and how he's described in the scriptures. I liked Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. That kind of awoken me to something that the Western church probably lost sight of about God being holy. And obviously, if you guys read that recent one, uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, that book's excellent. So those so are a couple good. of a couple of wrecks off the top of my head. I, I, I'd recommend, if you really went into a systematic theology book, it's always helpful. So you can ask your own pastor for wrecks for that. Um, so that's helpful. Um, another question, this is an interesting question, book recs on church history. So I can see how today's church's problems are not new. I, I think one church, yeah, I, uh, one book that we talked about is the color compromise, Jamar Tisby that talks about the racial history, yes, but yeah, Tom, go ahead. Yes. I always read a, like two church history books a year just for that very reason to make sure that I mm. understand the current context is not new. Mark Knoll, he's great. He wrote a book called turning points along with a couple other historical books that are helpful. Uh, Bruce Shelley's book, um, Simple Church History, or Church History Made Simple. That book's really helpful. Um, Rodney Stark, The Rise 
of Christianity or the triumph mm-hmm. of Christianity. He kind of, he, you know, he's not even a Christian, but he kind of gives an objective explanation of what the church is. And then Tom Holland's book, Dominion, that book's super dense. Uh, but again, he's a non-Christian. And I actually like reading church history from non-Christians because it's not biased or it's trying to like make a, the church shine like this bright light, but they tell about the sins of the church. But at the same time, you see how the church really literally changed the world. And so it's always nice to read through church history. And I try not to read the too boring ones. I try to read ones that are readable. And those are a couple of good ones that I found. Yeah, I mean, those are all... Uh, I, those are all definitely books that I would recommend as well. We did a color comp- compromise as a church. That was so good. Um, one that I would recommend that I that may not be as well known is a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Um, and that's a book that I've been reading right now that's really good. Um, and it just talks about um, how the church... Um, how the church spread and how you know spread from being like a marginalized Jewish sect to the ends of the earth and it's actually really fascinating and it speaks to I think it's very encouraging to read especially in light of everything going on right now where people feel like the church is imploding Um, but you just realize that some like the the greatest moves of God in history happened when the church really felt like it was working from the margins, not at the center. And so definitely would recommend that one. Nice. Is that a fuller book? I've, I've never heard of it before. Which <laughs> it's a good if one. It is, it's by it's Alan Kreider. Yeah. Alan Kreider. Mm-hmm. Great. Nice. Those are all helpful. So uh, I'd, I'd really recommend those. Uh, a couple other quick questions. Do you guys get sermon feedback from your wives? If so, what do they say? I feel like I used to. Like she get, used to give me like a thorough analysis of my sermons. Oh wow! But like the past like two years, she just gives me a thumbs up or no thumb, and so is that her? She don't care anymore, <laughs> or she just has other things on her mind. <laughs> yeah, no, same here. And the only time I usually do get sermon feedback is when we're fighting, and she's <laughs> like, <laughs> and she's like, "What about what you talked about in the sermon last week?" And oh, I'm like, "Ah, oh, dang it." At least she's you listening. were listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, that's, yeah. That's usually true. a thumbs up, you know, thumbs up or or nothing at all. I my, my I will say like my wife, you know, in her to her credit, and she probably knows, you know, does this because she knows me and probably how sensitive I am after after a Sunday. She rarely will give me like negative feedback um, on a sermon after a sunday you know mm. yeah that's good yeah i'm, I'm the same usually she, if i don't get feedback it's good if she does have comments i'm like oh i i probably messed up or i, sh- I said something i shouldn't have said that's usually what the feedback is but uh yeah that's, i hope that's helpful insight um a more general question uh I, I, we might have talked about this in the dating episode but just just quick whatever comes to your mind really quickly how should I trust God's will and timing in a season of singlehood for my life? We should do a whole episode on that. Just like singlehood? Yeah, I really think it's this is a very uh, American Protestant problem. Because mm. like in the Catholic Church, for example, that is not as big of a problem because singleness was seen as something that's reverent because celibacy is practiced by the clergy mm. versus in the evangelical western church every every christian leader is married it's all about like the family 
And so again, there's good things about that too, but it's now become like the stage of maturation spiritually. And if you don't reach that, then you're kind of not really living out the fullness of humanity. That's almost a feel people get. And so, you know, I feel like there's, it should be the same prayer. Like, how do I get through my marriage? You know, how to get this season of hardships of marriage, the season of parenting, but for some reason, singleness is seen as like this dark period that you just have to endure and trust God's timing. Whereas in reality, it's not uh, any harder, I think, than other stages of life, but it's seen as something that's uniquely hard because more of our context uh, in modern evangelicalism. Totally. And I don't, I think churches also um, do a pretty bad job, you know, in, in terms of, I, I think churches definitely perpetuate an idolatry of marriage and kids. You know, we, we kind of, the way we talk about marriage and the way we try to push people to get married um, often gives people the sense that they are stages you have to graduate to like, you know, singlehood, and then, you know, you you can graduate to the next level, which is marriage, and then graduate to the next level, which is parenthood. Um, and definitely, I don't think we see that, you know, in the Bible. And I, th- I think it's very telling that Jesus, you know, we often say is the most fully human person that ever walked the earth, and he was a single celibate Jewish rabbi. And so um, I think that that says a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I I feel like we've idolized the nuclear family over family itself, if that makes sense. Um, but none of those answers probably helped you. But we hope an episode on singlehood will, will come out soon <laughs> to help, yeah. Yeah. help you. Yeah, just yeah. just hang in there. We'll we'll have an episode talking about that. But um, yeah, last question. This, this I think this is a good question because I think a lot of people probably will relate to this if they're listening to us. Um, I've been at the same church since its birth 26 years ago, but once the senior pastor retired and COVID hit at the same time, the church, uh, disintegrated and closed down. I've been church hopping for two and a two, two, two plus years. What is your advice for someone who's looking for a new home church? What are some green flags, red flags, and some white flags? Uh, meaning what are some things I should surrender? It's a very mature question to ask. Um, but yeah, I guess it'd be helpful just to whatever pops in your mind. Well, I, I would start by saying just the fact that you have a white flag section, I think shows some maturity because I think that's part of the process. Like you have to give up something like no church is ever going to fit your consumeristic needs. Like it's going to be a little bit different. I think the only thing I would add in my two cents would be I, I really think the vision and culture ultimately is something that should drive whether you want to fit in or not. Not the people, not the community, but is it is, is where the church is heading where I want to be a part of? I think that's one thing. Um, what about you guys? You know, I would say that the toughest part, you know, if to have been at one church for 26 years, um, is to kind of rid yourself of the expectation that you're going to find a church exactly like that one. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, you know, like I've never been at a church that long and I can't imagine what it would be like to be at a church since birth. Um, and then to have to kind of like look for a different church, different home. And so, you know, I think, yeah, that is a tough place to be in, but, um, you know, and I think the temptation is going to be there to try to like find one that's closest to that church. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would definitely, 
you know, surrender that expectation right off the bat. Um, and I agree with Eugene. I think um, values, culture um, is so important. I believe that even more so now um, that I work for a church. And, you know, I feel like um, not just finding a church that has like a vision that on paper you agree with, but a church that I think um, where you see tangible like ways that that church is living out that those vision that vision and those values um, mm. in community. Um, obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but a church that is actually trying to live out the things that they say they care about, I think, is huge. Yeah, just to add, I think two underrated things that maybe we don't keep in mind as much as we should when we visit a church is one, uh, imagining can you not just be at this church now, but can you be at this church even in different stages of your life? So when you look mm -hmm. for a church as a single versus looking for a church as a married couple versus looking at a church as a parent, like it's it's different. And so I do think it's important to imagine, like, can I see myself rooted here for a while if you plan to be at a church for a long time? And then two, even understanding the life stage of that church, meaning is this a new church? Is this a historic church? I feel like that's important too, because that's going to kind of play a role of your involvement in the church. Because if you've been at a church for 26 years, you might have been one of the core historic figures of that church. But if you're part of this like historic large church, you're just going to be someone who's an attendee. Versus if you're part of a new church plant, you might be one of the people who are key members of the church. So I think the life stage of that church, meaning like how long has that church been around, that plays actually a, an mm. interesting factor to how your church life is going to look like. Mm. No, I think that's really good. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, and thanks for asking that. that. I think that's a really mature question too. So um, that's it for the mailbag. Again, if you have any questions for us, you usually have a post up uh, just a random day of the week. Just keep posted on your IG story, but you can always DM us too. Um, but yeah, in light of that, uh, today's episode, we wanted to talk about social media, um, technology, the smartphone. It's going to be pretty sporadic and pretty wide ranging, but I thought it'd be just kind of a more fun episode to talk about um, how social media and the church kind of collided together. I mean, not just the church, but just the world itself. Um, and I think social media is just crazy because it's kind of everywhere. Um, Facebook's worth, so I was reading recently, Facebook and Apple, they're worth like over a trillion dollars. I think I think Facebook alone is worth more than all of the Korean stock market put together. So that just shows you like the scope, right, of everything. Um, so I, I think with that, it's just crazy. But I think we all know kind of the negative effects of social media. If you haven't watched Social Dilemma on Netflix, I suggest you do so. And I just kind of want to dive into that together because I do think it's an interesting conversation to have. So I guess the first question I want to ask you guys and this is, I don't know, it's a simple question, so I just want to see where it goes. I don't really have a trick answer involved, but do you guys feel like the smartphone is a good or bad thing for the church once it was invented? I'll take the easy answer. Both, good and bad. Accessibility in many ways, connection in many ways that you couldn't have fathomed before, but also created a sense of individualism, a sense of a false connection uh, as well. Um, I, I do do, do believe that it sh it changes things no matter what. And one thing that I heard from a, I think it was a TED talk that I thought was true is any tool that you use, uh, it's never neutral. It's always used for good or for bad. But no matter what, the tool is gonna shape you. For example, if you use an axe over and over again, 
it's not something that you're going to become unchanged by. You're going to get calluses by using the X over and over again with your hands. And in a similar way, social media, it's going to shape us in ways that we did not imagine. And so it's not neutral. Uh, what you do with it, obviously, is good or bad, but it's going to change and shape you and it's going to change and shape the church. And this is something that you have to almost know and identify so that you can see what is the church really meant to be in light of the social media context that we are in right now. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, as with everything, I think it's a good gift and it's something given to us for the flourishing of society that human beings, as always, have um, messed, up. messed up, you know? And that's just, that's that's our MO with everything. And so, you know, it's, I you know, when I think about what the smartphone is, um, you know, like I was talking to my grandma recently. She's 93 years old. She was born in 1928. And just the, she could never have conceived of, of what a smartphone is and what a smartphone does, like yeah. happening in her lifetime. Um, and so when I think about that, just human, like how far technology has come, human ingenuity, like um, it's incredible. You know, and I think it's it's you know some like something to marvel at, and I think it is something that should you know point us to God ultimately. Um, mm. But I think, as with all things, you know, we take the created things and we start worshiping them, and I think that's what's happened with the smartphone, um, which has you know caused a lot of stuff. A lot of um, stuff. Yeah. Do you do you guys? I I looked up some stats. Do you do you guys know what the average American screen time is now in twenty twenty one? Is it, is it different by generation or is it um, all the same? Oh, you know, I, I I haven't looked at that. I, I did read that the older generation, boomers and up, are actually upping the screen time compared to millennials. But Is it like six hours a day or something? Six hours a day? Tom, what do you think it's at? I'll say seven. It is at, of 2021, seven hours and 11 minutes average Ooh, per, per wow. screen time. So it's just like, it's extensive, right? And I guess for you guys, like, um, the meat of it is just like, okay, how does this affect the church? Cause we, you know, you can listen to a lot of these Ted talks about what it does to you and how it's bad. But, um, I think the crux of our faith and the phone or the technology or social media, it's always, I don't know. I've, I haven't found anything helpful. Like it's, it's usually a binary response. Like, Oh, you know what, how should we handle smartphones? Like fast it, you know, don't use it. Or like, Oh, you know, like the church should be on Instagram ads and stuff like that. And I guess I just wanted to kind of find a medium together. But I guess for you guys, like, how do you feel like the church itself on an individual member Christian basis and a communal church basis? How do you feel like the church has handled the social media tech revolution from from your guys' eyes as a senior pastor? Well, I do agree with you. Even what we said earlier about the history of the church, like people don't know when books were first became a thing, that was controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, you have books and accessibility to it that was seen as like the devil's work and obviously now we see books as like this reverent thing in the church mm-hmm. television obviously was seen as something that was uh the devil's work as well uh music and so forth so now social media it's kind of you have one reaction where it's very much like hey this is evil or let's fast from it let's stay away from it um but i feel like now today it's it's far less of that and it's far more we don't analyze what it's doing to us Um, Obviously, there's more work that's being done to bring awareness of it, but probably at our congregation level, that's not really being analyzed. The idea of like the smartphone is shaping us and changing us to receive 
things in life and in the church. And so that's the part where I feel like we're not really paying attention to that part. Mm. Mm. Jason? Yeah, I mean, agreed. I think it's it's one of those things that feels like, even for me, like I, I talk about social media almost in every sermon, and it doesn't feel like um, it's making a dent, you know, in the sense of like, um, I don't necessarily think we um, analyze our usage um, enough or at all, you know, because I yeah. think it's just a reality now. And it's like, it's changing. So like TikTok has taken over within like what, a year of like everything. So it's just changing so quickly too that I feel like we're always behind as a church. Like well, we, go ahead. What's interesting too is I think for us, we saw the advent of social media. You know, we weren't like mm. born into it. it we yeah. were like in college when Facebook actually started and you had social media actually get created. So it's an interesting vantage point I think millennials have about this uh, new technology. Yeah. yeah, and 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 pastors, I would say, and and leaders in the church are in a predicament because right now, like so much of news and so much of what people are talking about and what's relevant, what 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 the culture is talking about is is happening on social media only. Yeah. Yep. You know, and so like on one hand, you could say I'm never going to be on social media again, and respect to leaders who do that and are able to do that but in a city like for me in a city like la i would be so lost um preaching to my congregation on a week-to-week basis you might not even be effective like honestly right yeah because you wouldn't be talking necessarily be talking about things that people are talking about you know and they're just everything happens on the digital in the digital world, in the yes. digital universe. And so... Like our news is Twitter, right? That's where you find right. out what happened. Exactly. But exactly. I think what makes that interesting is no no longer is like going through those filters of editors, but now it's just told and blasted by whoever first tweets it. So that's the yeah. only like difference probably from like the news back in the day. Yeah, like I remember um, several years ago, you know, um, a pastor was like blasted by his church because um, he didn't, mention or pray for like an event that had happened like you know a shooting that had happened that morning that sunday morning that apparently everyone was talking about before church yeah you know and it's funny because like in some sense like you would love that your pastor isn't on social media on sunday morning and instead was probably praying and prepping you know praying for his congregation prepping his sermon but he gets blasted because he didn't mention something that he didn't even know happened um, and so that's just, it's, it's such a hard place to be right now. There's a very well-known pastor. I can't say who it probably is, but he took a fast the week of George Floyd. Oh. So when he went up on Sunday, he gave a sermon on like tithing and then, yikes, you know, and he just like felt it. So it's just like, dude, hey, doesn't he watch the news? <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, he's like a, you know, real fast guy. Oh, so he, okay, okay. he fasted everything. And he's like, dude, I have this great sermon on tithing. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, man, but that just, yeah. Like this just kind of shows you like, man, it's, it's no longer a choice. It's just part of the fabric of the realities of our members' lives. And if we're not on it, then we lose a part of it. And with that, we should be careful on how we use it, as we said. But with all that, I, I think one of the sections I kind of wanted to go into uh, first was like, and Tom alluded to it, um, how is this forming us, right? That I, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit. 
Brett McCracken, he's a friend of, I think, all of us. He has a really good article a couple of, maybe last year on TGC, on how the primary way our people in the church are being formed spiritually is our smartphones, like more than anything else. And if we're not thinking about that, then we're like, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. So I guess for you guys, like, yeah, how do you see that happening? Like how, how does social media form the soul? You know, uh, like Tom talked about the calluses of the hand. Well, what are the calluses to the soul that you feel like are forming just from seeing your members and your churches of like, you know, these people are on social media all the time and we don't want to be a, you know, accusatory because it's just part of our reality of life. But maybe it'd be helpful for our listeners to see like, what are the actual spiritual effects you feel like are happening? Well, one bad thing, I think socially that was pointed out to me that that was really good. Um, there's this lady named Cheryl Turkle. She wrote like the first book on like social media and like its effects. And this is back when like Facebook and was the only thing that was there. Um, but she was talking about, there was like this commercial that was shown describing how pretty much depicting this girl, this teenager who was at a Thanksgiving dinner and everyone's talking, you know, politics and things that they don't really care about, or it's just really boring. And the girl just went on her social media and she went to this different world. And it was pretty much an advertisement saying, hey, you don't have to be mm. where you're at because you could transport yourself anywhere. And mm. Turkle was saying, even though that's really appealing to people, at the same time, what happens is you lose strong skills that you actually need to get developed, which is life is going to be filled with moments like that in business meetings and family meetings with gatherings where you don't necessarily want to be there, but you kind of learn to endure. But if you have now like this escape to just tune out, then that does something to you. And so I actually find it more at the social level where you're not willing to allow uncomfortable things or things that you don't want to be a part of to be part of your life. You're more used to transporting yourself into things that you're you want to do that things that you care about things that are relevant you can even edit out comments or the types of people that you're inter- in- interacting with on through social media and that's virtually so when it comes to real life if that's kind of your paradigm and you're spending seven hours with this customized version of life it's going to affect the way you deal with real people and i think that's why a lot you know we could get into this later a lot of the sensitivity a lot of the inability to have a, a dialogue that's disagreeable, it's lost because we've been shaped socially by customizing our social media platforms. Yeah, and I would only add to that too. There's a really good book that I read recently called Breaking the Social Media Prism by Chris Bale, I think. And what he says, so I think Tom's right, where social media, it allows you to edit your world, but this guy's thesis was it doesn't even allow you to do that it's actually editing your identity. That social media, we think it's like this place where we go to look at content, but it's actually a place where our identity is actually being formed. Because social media is no longer content just being you know, taken in, but it's also you producing content to be taken in. So his whole premise of the book is, we think social media is this mirror that we look at, and that's like, oh, it's, um, it helps us understand who we are and our place in society, but it's actually a prism because it distorts reality because it's not reality, right? Like this, everything is manufactured. So I think that's a big thing too, that like social media, I think people go thinking, oh, I just want to like what Tom mentioned, veg out, just look at some stories. But I don't think we realize on a spiritual level. And as pastors are saying that your identity is being formed by that process of scrolling and looking through these stories. Cause that's essentially what happens when you're scrolling through these feeds. Yeah, I mean, social media, let's be honest, social media is doing a much better job at discipling people than the church is, you know. <laughs> and, sure. you know, I, I think um, I think John Mark Comer calls it a digital IV now that we're, you know, 
we're constantly attached to. And that's just, and we think, you know, the church thinks that an hour a week on a Sunday morning is going to stand up to literally 24-7 being hooked, uh, you know, hooked into that digital IV. And I think you're right. I mean, everything you mentioned, I think everything about social media works against the gospel, you know, in, in, in the sense of like, what is the gospel? It's finding your identity in, in, in not in what you do, how you perform, how, what you look like on the outside, what you can produce. Yeah. All of so, so much of social media is about protecting, preserving a certain image, projecting a certain image of yourself to the world. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know, what is the gospel? Understanding that you have everything you need in Christ. Right. What is so what does social media do? tell you everything you don't have and everything you supposedly need to to live a fulfilling life you know it just breeds anxiety discontentment comparison all these things that are like working against the very things we're preaching about on sundays and and the bible preaches about and so that's where the challenge comes in because it's built into the very fabric of what social media is and what it does to people's souls isn't it crazy how like it's literally your you're taking in 30 minutes of content on Sunday to battle against seven <laughs> weeks of the content you're receiving. And, you know, if you're not reading your Bible and if you're skipping church every once in a while, dude, of course people are not going to be formed by yes. the gospel. Like, what do you expect of your people if they're not there on Sundays? And even just coming on Sundays, you almost have to double down on your intake of the disciplines of, of the word. But that's even less that's there, and you're being formed by something. So it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty uh, sad predicament. Absolutely, and and the difference is that what you're getting, you know, outside of Sunday, is is content that's been curated for you by an algorithm. You know, that is, you know, um, it's it's giving you people that you want to hear. It's it's amplifying voices that agree with yours. And then why would you go and sit through a 30-minute <laughs> sermon like of someone preaching to you something you don't want to hear or something you disagree with when your entire life... Don't you think gone are the days of like preachers where they could just preach a story of the Bible and it's not relevant at all, but you know it's the Word of God, so you just take it. Like Gone are those days. Like You can't Seriously. rely on that anymore. Yeah. 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 TikTok is crazy, man. TikTok never ends. I don't know if you guys use it, but it's like... It's so it's so smart how they designed it because you just you know and there's a I read an article on this on Instagram you swipe to the side to see stuff you know the stories but TikTok you scroll like an Instagram feed and it's psychologically mm. it's easier and you mm -hmm. feel like it'll just never end it's like how do you Dude, compete I, with that I used to like go like what the heck is TikTok man <laughs> now, I'm on TikTok it's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's like, how do they know exactly what you want to see, you know? Dude, the Communist Party of China knows exactly what you want now. Seriously, like for me, it's like golf and then and then UFC and then NBA. I'm like, this is amazing, yeah. you know? Oh, man. Uh, but, okay, so so with all that, and we'll talk about some of the more specific negative effects um, moving forward. But I guess one, do you feel like there's any positive effects, though? of social media for, for the soul, um, th that you've seen happen. I, and there's some that we could, you know, kind of ring out, but I'd like to hear your guys' own thoughts too. Yes. I mean, definitely. And I think like, you know, 
just again the accessibility of so many different kinds of voices you know i think that's something that wasn't possible in the past you know i'm able to yeah like i'm able to learn from so many voices from around the world yeah. and it's helped me grow um as a pastor it's helped me grow as a christian broaden my perspective on so many different issues um if i'm willing to like move outside of my echo chamber you know just again just to be able to go to different places um i mean on on a this this one is tough you know because i agree with tom in that social media can create a false sense of connection um but but it does allow you to like connect with so many different kinds of people yes. you know that you might not be able to connect with before and, and so. old people that you without it like you never could have connected without it like if we lived 100 years ago we would have lost so many friendships without mm -hmm. social media too you, so i think with social media for like the preaching and teaching part one thing that's good about it is you can't be that asian pastor who just spews out these crazy facts and you just trust him it's like no 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 like now people know their stuff and they could check you you know so you can't be that dictator type of pastor who yeah you have to know your stuff better which i think is actually good for the church because now you're you're gaining content that is uh uh more factual um i i think socially it could create more depth but it also could create more shallowness meaning um, so, you know, back in the day, you know, there was no dating. You literally met someone, you got married because it was arranged marriages and so forth. That's it. Now with like extended, uh, uh, adolescence or so forth, there's like this new relational hoop you have to jump through before marriage, which is date courting or dating or, or, or whatnot. We're seeing each other. And I think yeah. that happens relationally now in the, through social media where there is now an extra hoop to jump through to connect with somebody like it's weird just to hang out with somebody now you have to connect with them social media wise and you have to kind of dm them and then you kind of hang out with them there's like this process that's there and so in one sense i could create more depth because now you're getting to know them in this more systematic way but in another right. sense it could create a lot of shallowness where if you only stay at that social media level or you don't really go through the entire hoop then it'd be create it creates a small sense of connectivity and relationships so it created more hoops in my opinion when it comes to the relational aspect that could get you in trouble or create a lot more debt for you yeah no yeah. i agree with tom I, I think the positive and the negative of social media primarily is that it could sharpen the relationships you have so much deeper like even us three uh without this we couldn't do our pod you know and all this stuff and so we're thankful for that but i think the 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 the, the key in discipleship or like discipling that is to limit the connections maybe like i i, I don't know if you guys heard of dunbar's number but it's like the human brain can only have like i think 150 right meaningful connections but i think i and I, I checked all three of us follow more than 150 people on instagram you know and it's like a thought was like, oh, maybe it mean you know, remember MySpace when it was like actually the smaller connections, like who are your top friends, like mm -hmm. top the eight. top eight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And th that was actually, I think, good. It, I, it caused drama and stuff, but I think it kind of allowed you to sharpen those relationships. But now Instagram, it's just like, you know, thousand, two thousand. If you're Jason, like five thousand followers, whatever it may be. Right. And I, I, I just I just wonder, maybe that is a way to like really take the benefits of social media to sharpen the connections you already have rather than just to make yourself an open book to everyone. You have 5,000 followers? It's close. Dude, my younger brother has like 2.1 million. <laughs> oh, it's probably like higher than that now. 
How how much of the five thousand do you think are from people either thinking you're Justin or probably like four thousand nine hundred? Wait, yeah. but Jason, I feel like for you, right in LA, and you know, I, I visited you know citizens, and even the people that are there, they're they're people that are prominent on social media. Uh, like, what? How do those people talk about social media? I'm always curious about that. It's one of those things, right? Like, I think everyone sees the negative of it. Mm. I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, every, I, 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 I think everyone listening to this would be nodding, like being like, that's so true, but we can't stop. And that, like, I, I say that myself right after this, I'm going to scroll through my Instagram feed, <laughs> you know, and it, it you know, it, it is, it's one of those things. It's just so hard. It's, it's just like money. You know, like mm. I don't know anybody mm. who would, um, who would disagree with the dangers of money, you know, and the you know, but everyone is still like, but just give me a little bit more yes. of it, you yes, know. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so I, I feel like social media is now in that, yeah, in that sphere. Yeah. So I guess with that, um, and, and so one of the things, the specific things about social media, I want to touch on which we already talked about a little bit is uh, politics, news, information in itself. Mm. Social media has changed that completely. So I actually mm -hmm. want to throw out a quote from Neil Postman. He's like a prophet from, I think, the 50s. And he kind of saw where everything was going. And this is one thing he said. I, I kind of just want to stem our conversation a little bit from this quote. Uh, we proceed under the assumption that information is our friend, believing that cultures may suffer from a lack of information, which of course they do. It is now, it is only now beginning to be understood that cultures may also suffer from information glut, information without meaning, information without control mechanisms. Hmm. So I wanted to kind of talk about, especially for the believer, um, we are living in a very politically charged activist woke moment. And without social media, for better or for worse, this, this wouldn't have happened, right? George Floyd is a great example of this. Like, if that video wasn't shot of George Floyd being murdered, like, what, you know, and how many times has this happened before? Like, how many George Floyds are there? So that, that's, that's one point of it. But on the other side is, there's also this flood of information. I think Jason mentioned of, of a crisis happening every second that social media kind of allows you to feel. And there's this guilt that you might feel. There's this sense of activism that you might feel. And I guess for you guys, like, how should... How should we as Christians now navigate through this glut of information that's coming through our phones? Um, because, you know, as Christians, we're called to fight, fight oppression, fight injustice, and do all, you know, bring peace wherever we're at. But how do you do that when you see all these things happening on your feed? I guess just thoughts on that. Again, I'll go back to like what I mentioned earlier. I think on the one hand, it's good because like you mentioned, we would not know about George Floyd if we didn't have social media um and so in that sense it's good on the other hand it creates these extra hoops or these extra loops that make if you stop at a certain point you're not really doing much so for example i think a lot of people during the george floyd time they thought they're being activists by just simply posting a black picture on the profile picture and it's like yeah. oh see i'm making change and you're bringing awareness but are you actually bringing change are you really doing something that's forming you that's forming the people around you social media gives you that false sense that you are and so you have to go through that hoop and what's the next step to actually be an activist that's 
causing something to really happen. And so in one hand, it's good. But on the other hand, it gives you this false sense that you're doing something that you're, you know, it's not really causing that much change. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think as pastors, we can we can totally resonate with this. There were so many opportunities in 2020 to make a statement about something, right? Um, everyone was demanding. It wasn't enough that you cared about it and that you were praying about it and you were exhorting your congregation to to be engaged in it. Sure. Like, were you going to say something on social media? You know, and it was it just became this thing about like, you know, this this extra thing you had to do in order to prove that you cared about something. And it just yeah, with it comes so much pressure. It comes it with it comes like a performance mentality. Mm. Um, I, I yeah, I think with it just comes a lot of guilt. If you you know, if you feel like you're not doing enough or you didn't say the right things. And so I, I, I agree. I think that just. It's difficult to navigate. I think there are, you know, if we accept social media as a reality that, you know, our people are going to be navigating, I think there are ways that you can um, insert rhythms even into your social media usage. So, for example, I think one thing we're so used to, again, scrolling, you know, and even news, even even heartbreaking news, it's so easy to read it feel something move on to the picture of the dog move on to the meme <laughs> move on you know um but i think even teaching our congregation when you see that headline come through your feed what does it look like even in that moment to mm -hmm. pause to grieve to pray to lament you know i think there are small rhythms you know like baby steps we can take even with our social media usage what does it look like to take like uh op, you know time brief times away for silence and solitude before you go back you know yeah. um to rest to like give the soul some room to breathe you know i think there are things we can incorporate into our lives understanding that social media is probably going to be an ongoing reality there i mean it's true I, one thing that someone mentioned to me that i thought was true is social media it's kind of like the wild wild west right now there is no rules and people are just kind of doing things that you would never do in real life but they've never been discipled in this area nor do they even see it as part of discipleship like people at my church they post crazy stuff sometimes on social media and so yeah, you would never do this in real life but they almost like disconnect themselves from like their social media avatar and it's like yeah, this is still representing you and it's still part of what it means to be a, a follower of christ but you kind of disconnected that from what it means to be a disciple and because it's something that's never been really talked about or formed for them so true which is why you know it's like people could not say the things they say on social media if the person you were saying them to were sitting across the table from you, you know? It's like that Mike Tyson and, quote. Have you hear that, Mike? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. People are too, they're too used, why, they're like, too used it, to talking without getting punched in the face. <laughs> for what they say. No, that's, no that's exactly. exactly. That's exactly it. That's why embodied presence is so important, yep. you know? Yep. I think social media makes national news and global news really sexy because it has to. But I wonder like how much of local news is probably more of what we should do as disciples, meaning, I don't know, like the injustices. And I'm not saying that we should ignore everything, but I think it's really easy to get brownie points about 
you know, George Floyd, which we should probably talk about, right? Um, or Ahmaud Arbery, or even Kyle Rittenhouse, right? All these things, are, they're taking, you know, news headlines and all that. But maybe what about, like, the homelessness crisis, like, in your inner city? Like, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in OC, and all that stuff. Like, that's not really talked about, you know? And I wonder, like, more... I wonder if God cares more about what we're doing in our neighborhoods than the global headlines. Because that's what the algorithm is telling us should be important. So I think that's the only thing I would add with information is just, like... Don't get so like sucked into the sexy information. I think God cares about all injustice, which includes the unselling injustices in, in your backyard, if that makes sense. So I think with that too, um, another question I wanted to ask you guys, and Tom alluded to, is how social media has changed how we, and, and Jason too, how it's changed how we talk with people, our sensitivity levels, as Christians especially. I feel like it has made us more easily offended in good and bad ways and more volatile in good and bad ways. So I guess for you guys, like, yeah, how have you seen social media also change the relational level between people and what are things that are good? What are things that are bad? And how can we, are there ways that we could change those or disciple our ways out of that too? Yeah, it has completely eliminated the art of listening, you know, like, they say that listening is making the other person the protagonist of the conversation. Social media makes you the protagonist of every conversation. Everything is not a dialogue. It's a monologue. So you, um, you post what you want, you know, without having to see the reaction on the other person's face as they're receiving the information they're getting from you. Mm -hmm. You choose what to like. You choose when you're going to, you know, write a, when you, when you're going to comment, what you're going to say. You can actually take time to think about what you're going to comment and you can take time to curate, you know, the words that you put together. Whereas in a real conversation, so much of it is happening in real time and you're constantly like gauging the other person's responses. You're gauging the other person's emotional energy. There's so much like EQ happening in that moment that you just that goes out the window um, when you're on social media. And so. You know, this is why I, you know, I think like, again, I, I live in the land of influencers and the vast majority of like people who've, who've just been on social media their entire lives for most of their adult lives, they do, they struggle with listening, you know, mm -hmm. like they get into conversations with real people and I, I don't even think it's because they have any malicious intent. They just don't know how to like stop and like wait for the other person to say something back. And I feel like we all kind of experienced a little bit, a little taste of that during the pandemic when we had to preach to a camera every week. <laughs> Cause it's like when you're preaching live, you're like constantly, it's like you're feeding off of the energy that's coming back at you. You're watching people nod. If, if they're frowning, you're like, oh, I'm going, I'm taking this in the wrong direction. When you're preaching to a camera, you can say whatever you want with zero repercussions, at least in that moment. And so that's kind of the illusion that social media gives. Yeah, it makes us more performative, I think, because it's by nature, it's performative. Um, man, I can't handle when pastors post like their own sermons about themselves. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't trust pastors who do that. Like, 
I would never in real life be like, hey, you should listen to this sermon of mine. <laughs> like, so, like when you post your own sermons about yourself, I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> or, or even or your own quote. Like you post a quote and it's from you. It's like, man, come on, man. <laughs> this one really blessed me today. <laughs> By me. Where's the author? Oh, it's, it's, just, it's me. <laughs> it's just me. It's just me. You can only do that if you're like Tim Keller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 the last section I wanted to talk about social media is like, and we already talked about this a little bit, but um, just romance and like relationships and, and even sex, because I think it has affected a lot. I think social media has affected sex, our sexual ethic, way more than even pornography has uh, in certain ways. But I guess for you guys, I know we talked about this a little bit in the dating episode, but that was a while back, and maybe we're more versed too. But we always get questions on this too. But like, how should Christians navigate this new virtual romantic space? Because like Tom mentioned, the, the whole idea of marriage and dating has changed completely. And even within the past five years, probably even progressively, exponentially even more, that now it seems like the only way to meet people is through Hinge, Tinder, Bumble. I don't know if Coffee Meets Bagel is still around, but... Yeah, I guess like what what should Christians do? Like, how do you navigate that? Because it is such a different world than I guess we're used to and historically that we're used to in the church. Man, I got made fun of so much when we did that dating episode by my wife. <laughs> She's like, "You sound like a old geezer trying to like <laughs> navigate talking about like dating apps right now." So, I'm sure this is going to make it worse. But I mean, it's it is changing the game completely. There are, you know, I meet so many Gen Zers who tell me they are in a relationship and they've never like met up with the person face to face and they've been in a relationship for months. It's wild. It's, it's a purely digital, but they, you know, they are exclusive. You know, they feel like to them, it's as real as a real dating relationship. You Only know, slide in your DMs like that type of, that type That's of covenant. It. Oh, That's it. it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really hard. And I, I agree that I, I do think social media is um, impacting our, at least our view of the Christian sexual ethic. And I think social media and pornography are actually so intertwined. Mm. You know, mm. because I mean, honestly, like on TikTok, Instagram, what people have access to. I mean, the reason why they're saying that um, kids are going through puberty so much earlier now is just their exposure and their access to so many more things um, at an early age, more yeah. images, um, you know, more videos, more content. And so all of this is, is playing a part in that. But yeah, I got to think about that for a moment. Tom, maybe you can answer. I know one thing when I talk to people who date online is they realize how different people are than like the people who they actually mm -hmm. meet online. And it almost yeah. makes me realize, like, oh, like when you meet people in person through like the natural means, like, you know, through like friends or through church or so forth, those are like natural social filters. Like you wouldn't naturally go out of to meet someone who's radically different in a different context than you, uh, except online. Like you're going to meet people. It's almost like, a freshwater fish meeting a saltwater fish. It's like, dude, like you'd have no business being in the same social sphere, but because online is connecting you and you find yourself the other person attractive, 
you're now connecting socially and online you don't really feel the differences but when you actually start talking or trying to form a relationship it's like wow like your dictionary for all the words that i use is completely different than my dictionary because mm -hmm. i grew up like in cerritos and the oc and this is kind of the way that life is done but you grew up in this totally different part of the country or a different part of state and the differences are just way wider for the person because they normally would never rub shoulders and again that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing but they're just two totally different social animals who would never have made like rub shoulders before but online has created that medium for them to meet and so I, I notice a lot of people when they talk to me about dating online they just meet like weird people and it's weird not because they're objectively weird it's because they're so different because they're not they're not going through the normal social filters that we take for granted yeah i like similar thoughts from tom too because i think from the people that i've talked to that are on these apps it's like it it makes you think that connection is the biggest thing that you need to look for because that's how the app sells basically mm -hmm. but and, and this is the thing that I, I guess that's good because yeah maybe you could find someone outside of your network of you know we joked about how find a cool christian uh korean boy like that just doesn't exist so you got to go like outwards, right? But there's an element missing what Tom's getting at that. And I think it's biblical that relationships are meant to be in a communal space. Mm -hmm. And that if you jump, let's say you do get married to someone that is just not part of your community and you're not part of their community. It's like, man, I get really nervous about what's going to happen in 10, 20 years from all these marriages from Hinge and Tinder and, and Bumblebee, or sorry, Bump, Bumble. I'm, I sound so old. Um, yeah, we just sound like these old geezers. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Bumblebee? <laughs> Blackbee? You kids and our Bumblebees. Yeah, but I, I don't know. And Man, this makes me sound super old, like get off my lawn. But I just want, like, I really wonder what the divorce rate will be in 10 to 15 years. Because I fear it might be a lot higher than it is now. And that just kind of scares me. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I mean, I think even in even the ways that the the apps are made, you know, the ways that you can choose certain filters, you know, I know some apps allow you to filter people who don't make, who aren't in a certain salary bracket, and it just like makes like you know it it makes me sad even thinking about my own story, wondering if like Carol saw my like you know, saw my like stats on paper. I mean, at the, you know, especially if I was in my mid twenties and I was a starving artist at the time, <laughs> like living off of PB and J's and like, I don't know, would someone have given me a chance at that time? You know, and there are so many of these things, like so many great people that I know that like maybe on paper, you know, and this is, this is where like what I mean by like anti-gospel, you know, mm. this is like the definition of show me like what you're worth, you know, and then I'll choose you. Um, and For it's just sure. such a dangerous space to be in. And so I, I you know, uh, given that I would say most people, at, even in my own uh, church context, are meeting people online. I don't know that it's a again, it's something that like you can say don't do it because I feel like this is the, the new normal. I would say just being aware and cognizant that like the ways that these apps are designed and how they make money, how they sell, how they connect, you know, just being aware of the dangers, you know? Yeah. yeah you're avoiding those, no again, those normal filters. Like if we like somebody or interested in back in the day, 
you would someone would see you talking to them at the retreat and all your friends would be like hey like what's going on there like hey i know about that girl or hey like you know are you going too fast and so forth but when you're dating online nobody knows what you're doing it's all very individualized and then one day it's like, oh i'm in a relationship Everyone's like, oh, you are? And again, nothing's necessarily wrong with that per se, mm -hmm. but you're kind of, like Eugene mentioned, avoiding that communal input of what's going on in that part of your life. Look, marriage is already a game of catfish because like, you always get catfished <laughs> by your spouse. And I, you just- shout, shout out, Sylvia. <laughs> I, we, all, we all catfished our wives, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And you just want to minimize the catfishness of your relationship. <laughs> And if you add an online, and this is the thing, we're not trying to hide on online relationships, although we sound old. It's just you're adding so much more of a factor of that catfish hitting because you, you, will, you will feel that. Any marriage feels that. You're like, wait a second. This is so, not who I So pretty much it's for. all the more, you have to double down on how careful you are. And yes. it's more on you to yes. be careful. You don't have that communal support. It's yes. on you to be more intentional. Yeah. And mm -hmm. again, I've seen good relationships come out of it too, but it's just like, man, just be careful. I think that's the main thing that we're saying to you. Man, we sound like... You sound like grandpas, man. Just, anyways, be careful out there uh, <laughs> in the bumblebee world. Uh, but yeah, so I guess just to, uh, any any other topics you guys want to hit on social media too. I know we kind of was sporadic, but it's such a big. Are you guys worried about Meta? Oh yeah, what are your thoughts on Meta too? Man, Meta. Um, I mean, that's gonna be the the world that our kids grow up in. That's crazy. They're gonna have avatars of their own. They're gonna sh like their all, all their like everything they own is gonna be like an NFT, and <laughs> everything is gonna be like digital. Um, uh, I feel it's inevitable. It's not like something we could avoid. Like it's gonna yeah. happen. Yeah, it's like it's just you remember Wally. It's like it's just veering into that direction, right? It's so crazy. But yeah, I don't know. It, it we'll see how Meta goes. Uh, I'm sure church services. You'll see them on Meta soon too. But I, I guess just to end. Um, I, I kind of want to just center, and, and we kind of already hinted a little bit, but okay, look, we just we don't want to hate on social media. It might sound like an episode that we've done that, but like we mentioned, we, we think it's a gift, ultimately. Mm -hmm. We think it can be used for good. Um, it should be part of a discipleship. So I guess for you guys, like, what are some rules, guidelines, pieces of advice that you would give to our listeners that are disciples that want to be discipled in this area like what are so because this is the thing like i mentioned before i have not heard many good ideas i've heard go on a social media fast you know um like just follow christian accounts and i'm just like just follow <laughs> no because that's just, just like that's just horrible content you know awesome. <laughs> so i guess for you guys like are there any good ideas that you've heard that you maybe just are practicing and not perfected but just trying out even in your own life yeah because you know i mean I'm glad you said that, Eugene, because I don't want this to be our version of the go burn your non-Christian CDs yes. in a fire at a retreat, yeah. you know, um, because I definitely don't don't see it that way. You know, I'm on social media. And again, like I probably am on it too much. And um, something that I've been trying to incorporate and something our, um, I've been doing with our leadership cohort like this for the past month, basically what we were supposed to do is for the first week, take inventory around how we spend our time, how much time we're devoting to social media. And, you know, we, we, we're in small, smaller groups and we're supposed to text out to our small groups to say, okay, for the next month, I'm going to commit to taking this chunk of time 
out of my social media usage every mm. day. So it's not necessarily like a full on social media fast. For some people, it literally was like the first 15 minutes of the day when I wake up because that's the time the first thing I reach for is my phone or the last thing I put down is my phone. And so like the last 15, 30 minutes at night. Um, and it was let's practice silence and solitude. And so for some people, that's literally been do nothing and just sit there. Um, for some people, you know, it, it's been journaling, reading the word, prayer, um, whatever it may be. But like these small baby steps of inserting different kinds of rhythms into your life um, and, and see what it does for your soul after a month, you mm -hmm. know. And guarantee, like... Uh, I can tell you after, like, it's been two weeks for us, and everyone said it was excruciatingly difficult, but everyone has said it has revealed something very valuable that, you know, it has exposed some, you know, deep heart idol, um, and it has actually, like, encouraged them to want to do this more. And so um, all that to say, I think, like, we're so inundated with it right now even just small baby steps like this can be really helpful. Mm. Mm. That's helpful. No, that's good. I think similarly uh, to me, the main thing is I try to see my social media activity as, again, part of my life. It's not this separate thing. Like, it's not an avatar. It's me. Whenever I post, it represents me. My Insta stories represent me. Like, if people post things in my church and they're doing crazy stuff, like, I'm going to comment to you. <laughs> like, hey, what are you doing? Because uh, we see it. You're, you're publishing it and you're representing Christ in that. And so I do think that's a big thing, at least in my context, is, hey, realize your social media you is still you. And it probably represents you more than anything else now because that's what people see. And so I do think seeing that being integrative as part of your whole discipleship, that's really important. Hmm. Tom's not on many close friends at I think churches. they all blocked me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as I comment, they, uh, they, they, they unfollow me. Yeah, they unfriend me. Uh, that's too good. Uh, I, I think that's really good advice from both of them. Uh, I think the only thing I would add is just like, and we talked about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm big on this right now. Like, I think a rule for life is just so needed because of this. Like, I, I think you can fast and do all these things, but unless you have something going on outside of that, like meaning like you taking away your phone is not going to solve anything. You're going to be formed by something. And I think having habits that are already intentionally forming your soul through the word of Christ or through the word of God, through prayer and spirit and through worship every Sunday, those are things that can counter that. And, and that those things have to be held all together. So I, I hope that's helpful. Again, I think the best thing to do is to read too, because I think reading about social media just makes you so much more aware of what's it, what it actually is doing to you. So I guess just end. Any last book recs you would give on this topic to, to our listeners? Uh, Sherry Turkle, Alone Together. Again, she's, she's a little dated because she came out when social media began, but she's kind of like the first voice that actually talked about social media. I think the only two authors I would recommend on top of that is uh, Chris Bale, Breaking the Social Media Prism. He talks more about politics, which we could have gone into, but I did not want to because it's a whole other world. But I think that's really good. The book's called Breaking the Social Media Prism. I think the only person, other person I'd really recommend is Neil Postman. I'm reading him more. He's from the 50s, but man, he's like, he's just prophetic because technology is doing exactly what it's been doing for always, for a long time. So those are two authors that I'd recommend. 
Um, I guess one author I'd recommend is Ruth Haley Barton. She has a book called Sacred Rhythms. It's about rest and Sabbath, but I think it's very uh, relevant to you know this conversation around social media. And there's also another book by Richard Swenson called Margin. Um, it's about like how to restore emotional, physical, um, like space and time in your life. And I think that's also really relevant. Again, it's not about social media in particular, but social media is like one of those things that takes up all the margin in our lives that keeps us busy, that keeps us always doing productive, mm. striving, looking for the next thing. And, um, it's a really good book about just creating space for yourself. Um, yeah to rest and things like that so nice well yeah i hope that's helpful if you have time read those um we hope you know as you're listening on this phone and finishing take a break you know I, well i'm gonna go on tiktok right after this probably but hopefully take a break uh do some of the things we tried that we practiced but one of the other things just be aware this is part of your discipleship process i think that's the biggest thing we want to talk about so thanks for listening i'm uh, really thankful for uh, all the new listeners that have come uh, in the past couple of months um so yeah you could if you like comment subscribe rate us on apple Podcasts. we'd really appreciate it but with that we hope you're blessed we'll hope to see you on our next episode